following teaching is from the 2013 All in Men's Conference at Camp Choye. We hope it's a blessing to you. For more information about the men's ministry at Houston's First Baptist Church, you can visit us on the web at houstonsfirst.org forward slash men. Lord, we pray for your truth to be spoken here in the next 45 minutes that we have together, your direction, Lord. Uh, Father, I pray that the words that come forth are what you're leading in. Father, to uh, just further equip uh, your children uh, and to do and and to live in a way that you've called us to live. And Father, to uh, end the listening to the lies of Satan and, and of the world. And Father, to be able to walk in freedom, to walk in the truth that we have in Christ uh, through His death, burial, and resurrection. And Father, we just thank You uh, for this moment and this time. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So, we're good. So usually in my counseling, uh, 45 minutes is usually a good time for me as far as doing that, but a lot of time I spend in listening. So, talking, I do better with interaction, so if you guys have questions or stuff, uh, that'll work well. Uh, is anybody familiar with the book Silence of Adam? Has anybody read that book? No. Silence of Adam by Larry Crabb. Now it's just been redone as Men of Courage. Sure. I will work on that. So, um, The Silence of Adam is a book written by Larry Crabb, and it looks, like, it looks at what is the world said or how have we lived as unmanly men in our life and begin to look at how, what does a manly man look like in our lives. And so today what I want to look at uh, in our time together is what are the struggles that are common to man? Uh, what are some of the hard issues that are there? And then what effects does it have on our fam- families, present and future, depending if you are married or if you're single, looking into the future? Uh, looking at what the difference is sometimes between what the world and the church teaches us as a man is about. Even the church sometimes, uh, I think, has a deficit of teaching us what a man is about. And then uh, looking at some ways to encourage and some hopefully helpful tools to help you begin to look at a different way uh, to perceive your life and live your life out. A quote came from Silence of Adam that I think just nails us as men. is men are easily threatened. And when every man is threatened, when he becomes uncomfortable in places within himself that he does not understand, he naturally retreats into an arena of comfort and competence, or he dominates someone or something in order to feel powerful. Men refuse to feel the paralyzing and humbling horror of uncertainty, or a horror that could drive them to trust, and a horror that could release them a horror that could release them into the power to deeply give themselves in a relationship. And this is a key point. As a result, most men feel close to no one, and especially not to God, and then no one feels close to them. And as always begin to look at this issue and, and looking at addictions and things of that nature, begin to understand that the power of addictions comes from isolation. And so the idea is that we understand in a, from a biblical perspective that something good in men has stopped and needs to get to moving. When good movement stops, bad movement reliably develops. And kind of a quote I remember is like, the beaches are bleached with the bones of men who at the moment of victory stop to rest. And a lot of men have a great beginning in life of wanting to overcome sin, overcome the struggles of their life, and then something happens. They kind of get discouraged. They have a slip. They mess up. And they're just like, man, this is never going to change. I just can't change what's, what's good out there for me to change in. And so as we begin to look at this, we want to unpack it a little bit more. 
in the idea that this is something we've inherited from the garden, as Larry Crabb talks about in his book. You go all the way back into the Garden of Eden, in Eden, where Adam and Eve were in the garden. We see something where there's a conversation between Adam and God that talks about this idea that basically you're the leader, here are the rules, I've given you all the rules, and then we fast forward a little bit, and here's Adam and Eve in the garden, and the serpent's deceiving Eve, and when the serpent's deceiving Eve, Adam is right there. And most of us think, you know what, it's a woman's fault, that's why we have sin in the world, because, you know, if she went ate of the fruit, then we wouldn't have this issue. But the reality is, is if Adam wouldn't have partaken of that sense, or if Adam would have spoken to Eve in that moment and said, Eve, this is what God has said not to do, then we may not be that in that situation. And so, but this is a challenge that we began from the beginning is there's a sense that we don't want to fail, we don't want to appear as failures, and so we run away from those situations. Does that kind of make sense? I want to make sure that we're... This is all the beginning ground. And so, and as most of us know, that if you have a significant other other person in your life, that if you would sit there and watch them do something that God explicitly said, do not do, then there would be heck to pay after that because all of a sudden you just watched me do this and you know it was wrong, then why did you say something about it? And so as most of us would have done, we would have joined in with our spouse, our significant other, and done the same thing Adam did in that moment. And I think at that point is where we begin to see the forfeiting of leadership as males begin to happen. And ever since that point, now we begin to look for ways to fulfill that lost sense of leadership in our lives. Does this make sense? You're tracking. All right, good. So we're going to look at take a look at a look, take a look at how an unmanly man uh, seeks to relate with other people. So as an unmanly man, he controls his conversation. He manipulates family and friends. He arranges his life to avoid whatever he is not sure he can handle, and he trusts no one and not deeply. He looks hard to maneuver himself into a favorable light, into a position where he comes out on top or at least unchallenged. He is not a good listener. He rarely asks meaningful questions, preferring either to give his opinion or to remain quiet. No one feels pursued by him, except when their friendship is something that benefits him or that he could take advantage of. And when he does take an interest in you, this is not offensive to salespeople, it seems like it's a salesperson just asking to see a picture of your family to get that in with you. He is destructive. His words and his actions harm people. He is selfish. His selfishness is not always apparent, but it reveals itself clearly in hard times. In spite of kindness and generosity that is sometimes extravagant, a bottom-line commitment to his own well-being clearly surfaces when the chips are down. Does anybody identify with that? So, And I think what that kind of personality begins to set in for us is that road of isolation. You know, that idea that I'm scared to enter into the relationship with another person because if I enter into the relationship with another person, they're going to figure out who I am and potentially figure out the fraud that I am in that situation. That, you know, on the outside, I can make myself look really good. I do all these good things. Kind of, a, if you guys go back to the questions I were asked last night, if you were being followed and pursued by somebody, would there be evidence of you being a Christian? You know, would they think that you're a professing person or are you a practicing Christian in that sense? And so begin to look at it from this perspective. And so, and as you begin to open up the door, I think the isolation opens up the door for sin in your life because that loneliness, you know, if you guys have heard the acronym HALT, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, slash bored, you guys familiar with that? So, okay, so good. HALT, yeah. And so, that from a, 
addiction perspective, that would be kind of your triggers for uh, describing when is the most likely time you're going to act out in those situations. When are you going to pursue the unhealthiness of life? And so I think in that situation, begin to look at life and begin to understand some of those things. So, random question. I just want to kind of get an idea. Going back to confidentiality. Who's most struggle? If you guys are willing to, we'll see if this happens because I don't always get this happens in church. Guys talk about it all the time. How many guys would say pornography is probably your main struggle if you're willing to do it? Okay. So a good portion of the room. Substance abuse associated with that. Anybody gambling issues? Okay. So so just being lazy, sitting around. That's all of us. <laughs> There's a lot of that. So well, good. So it kind of helps me get an idea of a little bit more of where to pursue this from. So going back to this idea that we fear failure. So when we fear failure, we excel in things that we could be successful at. You know, that's why you guys see guys getting lost in their work. They become the workaholics. That's why you see guys getting lost in their hobbies. Because I could go to the golf course. You know, I could kick the ball maybe if I want to. I don't really have to tell anybody what my score is. Or I go fishing and I say it's fishing and not catching. And, you know, all these different ways that I could begin to explain life away. Or you go into pornography. Pornography. You know, those pixels on that screen aren't going to reject you. You know, that's all in your head. You're always going to be successful there. You know, in my 10 or 11 years of working with men in this area, I've never met a guy that's unsuccessful in his acting out in pornography. He's always been successful at that point. And so that's what's a draw is because it's something in your life that you can pursue and be successful in. And it goes back to the idea of the unmanly man. He's scared to engage at a deeper level. And unfortunately, in pornography and other issues or drinking, it creates this atmosphere and from a, the pornography perspective I think in other areas we come up with four core beliefs basically I'm a bad and worthy person if people really knew me they wouldn't love me sex is my most important need and I can't depend on others to meet my needs does anybody kind of identify with that those thoughts they begin to understand and so when those become your core beliefs then you're absent in relationships with other people yeah sure basically I'm a bad and worthy person if people really knew me they wouldn't love me Sex is my most important need, and I can't depend on others to meet my needs. And so, and that just, is that slow enough? Make sure. I talk fast sometimes. So bringing it back to just the idea of what are those deeper fears. And so if I can't depend on others to meet my needs, then I'm never going to reach out. You know, as it's always said, you know, if I have a couch to move, I could go next door and ask a friend or a neighbor to come help me. But more than likely, as a guy, I'm going to do it myself, potentially scratch my floors or throw my back out or do something stupid like that, break something because we're not willing to step out and, and ask for help. And then just that idea that sex is my most important need. The reality is intimacy with another person is what we need. you know. And that's one of the things that when I don't believe other people could love me, if they really knew who I was, if they knew the stuff that was looked at on the internet, if, I, if they knew that I was going to massage parlor, if they knew I went to strip clubs, if they knew the thoughts that went through my mind, if they knew even maybe what I think about their wife or what I thought about their girlfriend or, you know, whatever, put the context in because the reality is, is when you slip into that air arena, it's hard to keep things holy and to keep things pure because you just want to escape and it gives you that rush, it gives you that adrenaline. And so... As, you, as we walk through these things, we just really, the selfishness of ourselves begin to come forward. It's like, what, do I, what can I do to make my life easier? So, any questions at this point? This is one of those moments when I've been talking too much. <laughs>
Still with me? Can you explain the halt thing here? Halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, slash bored. So when I'm hungry for something, even just a physical hunger, can create an appetite and I could, unfuf- I could fulfill it in a wrong way. I think a lot of times, I even talk about when we're dehydrated, that sometimes there's this feeling of hunger and we confuse our thirst for hunger. And so we're going to eat something instead of really nourishing ourselves with hydration of what we need. I think same way that there's a need for intimacy in a relationship with another person, but I seek to fulfill that through images on a screen or maybe even a chat room or, or with somebody I don't have the intentions to build a relationship with in that situation. I'm angry. And a lot of things I think, you think about anger, uh, anger is often a secondary emotion. That really the primary emotion to anger is usually some kind of fear. That I'm scared about something. And so anger gives me the quickest ability to gain control of the situation back. And so if I could be the biggest, baddest person in a given moment, say that's in my marriage relationship, say that's with my children, say that's with a friend or whatever, if I could elevate myself in that way and dominate that person, then I could take back control of that situation and I'm not going to fail. It goes back to failure. I'm not going to fail. I'm not going to become the fraud. Lonely. I don't have anybody in my life. There's nobody connected to. I'm empty. You know, I'm sitting around on Friday night. Wife is out of town. What am I going to do? You know, it's not like college where you could just go down to the next dorm room or go hang out with somebody else in the apartment or whatever, go play pickup ball or something. And then a tired... You know, you get on the internet or do something without any purpose and you're tired, your defenses are down. You know, it's kind of like your parents always said, nothing good happens after midnight. You know, basically nowadays it's probably almost nothing good happens after nine. And when it comes to TV, <laughs> nothing's good happening after seven. You know, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing what's on our TVs these days. Earlier in the night, I'm scared to, when my child gets older, I'll be like, I may not want to watch some of these shows. Yes. Anger can come from uh, being self-defeated even before the fact. You know, give it up before you even try. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you, you know uh, you're afraid to try something. You become angry. Take it out on other people. And uh, it's from being self-defeated before mm-hmm. the fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's great. Just that idea. Did you guys hear that? Okay, he's talking about sometimes anger is just being self-defeated even before the situation arises, right? In that moment that basically you're... Even not before you even... Yeah. Attempt. Mm-hmm. Become angry, and that leads to uh, frustration or uh, taking it out on other people. Mm-hmm. And somebody closest to you emotionally, you know. Mm-hmm. And, in, in my situation. Yeah, and I think some of that's associated then back to that fear of failure. Yeah. I don't want to fail, so i got to control that situation. And on that, just to piggyback on that, the pressures that you feel, whether they be real or, or not, to try to try to accomplish what you're trying to get done, you just, you, you latch out in, in anger. And, and usually, I mean, a lot of people do it different ways, but you latch out a lot of times, I latch out myself. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, why should I bother like this and not consider myself a failure? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anger is, the, for me, the easiest thing to go to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then sometimes you realize with that anger, then it, it expands your desire to want to do other things. Your mind gets racing, and what's a way to pull myself back in? Well, I can move into this, you know, and that's one of the things you begin to understand in life is the quickest way uh, to avoid pain, and we'll just talk about this a little bit more, is sin. If my only goal in life is to feel good, and to feel peace, then, well, sin is probably my quickest answer to that. 
to that route. And so, you know, it's a whole lot easier to find something sinful to do than to turn back to God and really sit down with God and pursue God in a given moment and allow God to pursue us and uh, for us to be open to that pursuit. Because a lot of our things and what we're struggling with are it goes back to a lack of intimacy with God. You know, if I could fully understand everything I've been given in Christ, then I wouldn't seek after these other things to fulfill this emptiness that's inside of me. And so I have to be able to understand the importance of that relationship with God. Um, so let's look at a manly man. We'll look at, give a few descriptors of a manly man here. Before we go into some other stuff. Um, and describe it from this perspective. An authentic man is very different. When the energy God has placed within a man is released, the man knows he is strong. He is not powerless. Strong men take initiative when they're not sure what to do. This idea that a lot of times most of us are reactive. You know, we're going to wait around until something happens. And then we engage instead of being proactive. This is why I tell guys all the time, you've got to begin to live a life of pro- being proactive and not reactionary, hoping I make the right decision in a given moment. You know, hoping that when I'm on the internet, I'm not going to click on that next little button that says news or pics and then just trickle on down the line. Or, you know, I hope that I'm going to drive around this certain seedy area of town and I hope I don't go into the parlor. I hope I don't go into the strip club or, you know, I hope I, you know, I'm going to go to a bar and I'm not going to drink or, you know what, I'm going to listen to the, I'm going to read over the betting lines this week and hopefully I, uh, I just want, I'm just curious and that curiosity, as the old saying is, is what kills a cat. And so when you start thinking, am I strong enough? Because this is where I see a lot of guys struggle. I can see a guy do very well up for about six or nine months in recovery aspect where they have sobriety, where they've been clean from whatever it is. But that six to nine month range is usually where I'm going to see them struggle because all of a sudden they kick it into cruise control and they forget what it was, what it took to get them there. You know, it's kind of like we look at it as dieting. You know, I have this goal. I want to lose 30 pounds. Okay, so I lost 30 pounds. Well, now I'm going to go back living the way I was before instead of continuing on the way that got me to where I was at, thinking that I attained a goal and now it's okay for me to give back. And so just this idea that i got to learn to be proactive in, in every action, in every moment, every choice I make, thinking through that versus just hoping for something good to happen. Um, their calling to reflect God in the manner of relating compels them more uh, than their hope for power or their fear of impotence. A manly man is not an aggressive man. He is active, involved in offering quality relationships to others, more committed to developing a strength that others can enjoy than to achieving for himself a sense of power and control. I think that's a big thing, is becoming a man that other people can want to be around. You know, in that sense, thinking about as somebody is around me, as they interact with me, Am I a pleasure to them? Not in the sense that I'm people-pleasing, but is there something that's life-giving from me? You know, and I think that from a Christian perspective, the best that we can ever give another person is who Christ is in us. You know, If I'm offering that person anything else outside of that, I'm shorting them in that sense, and I'm not being obedient to God. Um, the man experiences a state of being less angry, and he's less threatened. A manly man's pain doesn't interfere with his feeling and the plight of others, even when their troubles are less severe than his. So sometimes I think we get into this idea that, you know, my life is worse than yours, you know, that instead of realizing, i got to just be with this person where they're at. You know, we all have those people in our life that complain about every little thing, and we're just like, seriously? 
you know, that was that was not that big of an issue. Uh, but being able to be present for them and not get angry in that. The released man is not abusive. He is a gentleman. Not in the, not in the sense of being weak, but a man whose power is controlled for good purposes. In that sense that I'm gentle with a person when I know I need to be gentle with them, but I'm also stern with them when I need to be stern with them in that sense that I'm present in their lives. Uh, the man finds an answer to his terror and freedom. No matter what happens in life, manly men always find room to move. There's always something to be, even when there's nothing to do. And so that goes back to an idea of the idleness or being tired or bored in that situation, that even when there seems that there's nothing to do, there is something to do. And what I tell guys a lot of times, I'll look at it from a, uh, if you guys have done any, any of you done 12-step work, there's a three-circle method. And kind of you talk about, I talk about red light, yellow light, green light. And I tell guys, really, if you look at the red light behaviors, there's probably about six or eight things in there that you're giving up. And it's basically like Ten Commandments. You're beginning to look at it from this perspective. For me to live in freedom is to give up six or eight things. But for me to live in freedom wholly and understand what freedom is, there's a smorgasbord of things that God has said is good. You know, and I think about it, cattle. And I took my wife grew up in the city, and I kind of grew up a little bit more in the country. And we went out to uh, somewhere west of Katy, and uh, the cows are sticking their heads outside of the fence. You know, so I look at it, and it's kind of this picture of a whole huge pasture that they could go out and eat in. But for whatever reason, they're sticking their head through a fence. Their hair is getting pulled by barbed wire, and they're eating weeds. And so my wife is like, oh, "I want to feed the cows." So she reaches down, pulls up the weeds, and tries to stick, feed the cow the weeds that he was just eating. And it pulls its head back through the fence and just kind of looks at her like, you crazy? <laughs> Why are you going to give me that? You know, kind of thing. And it's the same way in us. God has set these parameters for us to live in freedom. He's given us everything we could want. Wells to drink from, grass to feed on, whatever it may be, to live life well. And yet we've chosen to try to stick our heads because we think He's withholding from us. But if somebody was to walk up and try to give us that, we'd be like, yeah, you're smoking crack. You're crazy. This is, this is not... That's stupid. Why would you do that? And so I think those are the things you begin to understand and live through. Uh, manly men are enticed by the joys of freedom, by the unhindered chance to follow the call of manhood. A manly man is not addicted. He treats his body roughly to avoid coming under foreign power. He fights hard against his relentless desire for pleasure. He moves according to a plan. He is purposeful. A man who knows what he's about and what he can contribute to the purpose for which he's living. And so I think a lot of things in life, there's a lot of times where we're stuck in this idea that life is for pleasure. And when we get into addictions, really that's where my life is centered around is pleasures. What brings me the greatest joy with the least amount of effort? And that's really what you look for in those situations is what's the quickest way to find joy? What's the quickest way to find pleasure with the least amount of effort? And unfortunately, that's the way a lot of us men live is we always give the minimum, you know, that we know what the maximum is. We know what the best effort we could actually put into a situation. But I'm going to give a minimum effort. Therefore, if I fail or I don't meet somebody's expectations, I could say, well, I know I could have done better. You know, but that gives us that kind of out key. Does that make sense? So questions yet? Good? Making sense? Trying to? Rick, if you want to pass the... Have a little pass out uh, sheet now just to look at some practical ways to uh, begin to deal with this and look at it. Um, but one of the things I think in your guys' uh, book on the last page in this thing, there's a page for prayer requests and contacts. 
given situation, a lot of men live in isolation. I hear this all the time in, in my groups and when I meet with guys. They're like, I know there's other men that struggle with this. It's just nobody wants to talk about it. Come on, Joe. Wake up. <laughs> wake up, wake up. So what I encourage you to do is if you feel safe, you know some men, you guys basically saw almost every hand was raised here, that you could exchange some phone numbers with to have contact with. You know, in 12-step work, they call it the 1,000-pound phone. It's that idea of reaching out and making that contact. And that's the hardest thing because there's a part of you that says, I know if I reach out and I connect with another person, they're going to talk me out of what I really, really want to do. But at the same time, you know they need to talk you out of what you really, really want to do in that given moment. And, you know, right now I'm asking guys, have you been making your contacts? And they're like, no. And I got guys that are still struggling. I'm like, you got to reach out. You know, God's created us for community, and you got to reach out. So on the first side of that sheet, uh, the one that's titled at the top, I didn't put page one or page two on there, the uh, first three steps. The first step is, in becoming a godly man, you got to know Christ. So the question kind of building off of what Robbie was talking about last night, do you know Christ as your Lord and Savior? Or was it something in your life was fire insurance that said, you know, everybody else is going forward, I need to do this, that seems like the right thing to do. And I think the key part, is He Christ, is Christ your Lord, first of all, and is He your Savior? A lot of us buy into Savior, that's good, but as a man, I don't want somebody else ruling over me in that situation. I want to be Lord of my own life, and I think that's where the trouble begins, is when you want to be Lord of your own life, you're looking for a train wreck. And so in that, begin to understand that the first step is becoming a godly man, is to do, to know Christ and through that, uh, you got to surrender yourself to the leadership of Christ because if you ever expect others to follow you or want to be a part of your life or for them to even benefit from knowing you, you got to have Christ. Uh, and the idea also is it isn't about reading my Bible more. It's not praying more. It's not giving more. It's not going to church more, which are all good things. I think those are beneficial. But just doing those things aren't a magic formula to make life better, to make you a more godly man. And that the reality is, is really is that I pursue God's wisdom, His plan over what seems to benefit me or is easiest for me. So before I begin to make decisions, the way most of us operate is I make a choice and then I pray about it. You know, it's like, I'm going to pray about that, but I've already made my choice. So basically what I'm saying is, God, I made my plan. Now I need you to bless it. Instead of taking time to go before God and say, Lord, here's the options that are out before me. I need your wisdom. I need your leadership. And if any of you guys have ever read the book Ian Bounds on prayer, there's a quote that he has in there. I forget who the guy was, but it's basically a businessman that before he ever took a phone call, before he ever answered his door in business, he would pray about that situation before that phone call came. I was like, that takes huge discipline. Because a lot of times, even with your cell phone, it's easy pick it up, answer it, shoot a text back or whatever it is. But coming under that discipline of saying, I'm going to seek God's wisdom in every decision and choice that I make. Uh, the second step is to own up in your life. Uh, admit to yourself and whoever you failed that you have not been leading in a godly way. So if you're in a marriage or if you're in a dating relationship, you know, being able to admit you know, that I haven't been leading in a godly way. Uh, if you're single and you have friends or if you're parents, being able to own up and admit that I'm not being godly. I haven't let out in a godly way. But most of all, being honest with yourself in that moment. And it's not calling you to say and spill the beans about everything that you've done. Unless if God is really calling you to do that, 
but that reality is that everybody needs to have somebody in their life that knows the junk that they've done in that situation. And I think one of the main things is knowing that secrets and privacy, there's a difference. Secrets are bad, privacy is okay. So not everybody needs to know your junk, but you need to have some people in your life that know your junk. Um, one of the ideas I had here is you've lived a life of lies uh, that have led you to grow dull to the truth. Let God search you and reveal to you the sins that are holding you back from walking in freedom in Christ. And I think a lot of this is coming back to a place of understanding who is the man that God's called you to be. Not who do you think your wife wants you to be, not who do you think your girlfriend wants you to be, not who do you think your employees want you to be, or your employer, or your parents, but who is it that God's created you to be? Kind of like Pastor Greg was saying last night, operate from your soul and not from a role in that situation. You know, I kind of describe it as, here I am, who I am in Christ, and here's all the roles I play. But a lot of times these affect or dictate who I am in Christ instead of the idea of that who I am in Christ dictates what kind of father I am what kind of friend I am what kind of husband I am uh, you know what kind of brother or son or whatever it may be that I am so understanding that that's what dictates is who I am in Christ and then thirdly building a brotherhood who are the men that are walking with you who are challenging you who will encourage you and who will celebrate with you uh, in your journey of being a godly man and the key part is being a part of a community requires giving to the community and also receiving from the community. A lot of times we're good at one of those. If we're going to be good at any of them, we're going to be, choose one. Either I'm going to be good at giving into the community, I'm going to give my back, I'm going to serve, I'm going to do all that, but I don't need your help. Or sometimes we're like, I need all the help I can get, but I don't have the opportunity because I don't feel like I have anything to give back. And so that reality and community... Or you may feel you don't have anything to give back. So that idea that I need to be able to receive from community, but I also need to be able to give from community. Is that clear? I think one of the first levels is just beginning to uh, understand who are safe people to share with and then when is it appropriate to share. Uh, I think, and that may be a little bit more complicated answer to get through necessarily in this situation, but kind of a gist of... When, and this is even for the guys that are single that maybe even struggle with pornography and masturbation and these kind of things, is that figuring out what is and when is the appropriate time to share. Because I think there is something to... Uh, I think it's unfair for a spouse to walk into a situation and then they find out a year or two into the relationship that this is a struggle that you have. You know, Because I tell guys, I'm like, marriage isn't going to resolve the issue for you. you got to be able to take care of this issue before marriage. Because if you carry it into marriage... It may last you a year or two, but probably year two, year three, you're going to be back into struggling with these issues again because it isn't about sex in that situation. It isn't being able to have sex in the, quote, the right way or anything in that. And then when you've added on relationships and things like that where you have hurt people and wounded people, it complicates things that much more. And I think that's a, it's a sad thing sometimes in the church is that we don't always have the same grace uh, for our members that some maybe sometimes that we see for that visitor that comes in that we've hold, held them to a higher standard which I think in some ways we need to hold them to a higher standard but at the same time there has to be that grace to walk alongside them when they're in a season of struggle or whatever it may be and so I'm sorry that you've yeah and I would say and I'm going to move on uh, answer that briefly is basically when you're in a relationship and you're looking to elevate it to the next level and you're asking for a higher commitment in the relationship, probably before you have that person commit to that next level of the relationship is trying to be honest 
in that situation. And so it's all depending on what is the level of relationship I have with this person, what is the level of intimacy that I look at and foresee have with this individual. So I'm going to move on because i got a couple more minutes. Five-ish. Seven. Good. We can roll through this real fast. Uh, signs of self-obsession is the next part here. Uh, this is just some things that help you begin to look and evaluate your life or when you're walking through things. Uh, and this briefly, self-obsession, God-obsession, you'll hear this. It's mentioned in another talk about how to raise God-obsessed kids in a self-obsessed world. Uh, basically, I kind of describe it as God-obsession. Is I realize that God is the author of the story, and I'm a character in His story, trying to live out what He's written. Self-obsession is I'm the author of the story. God's a character in the story, there to do what I want Him to do. And so... Kind of these would be the marks of self-obsession. Personal pain is seen as our enemy, prompting us to search for, quote, Christian ways or quick ways uh, to find relief. Uh, when we're driven to uh, get over our pain, we're unable to be there for others. Basically, when our pain is greater than our ability to step into the life of somebody else, we can't be there for them. Life going well is our central source of joy. So basically, if my life is going well, it's easy, there's nothing hard going on, then I'm happy. Uh, felt desire is your surest guide to knowing what to do. That if it feels good, then I should do it. And more than likely, for most of us, if it feels good, we probably shouldn't do it. And then God's goodness depends on blessings and circumstances. A mark of self-obsession that God's goodness is basically what has He blessed me with and what are the circumstances that I'm living in. Uh, marks of God-obsession. Personal pain is seen as a friend. God uses pain to wean us off self-obsession and move us towards God-obsession. And reference back to James 1, you can read uh, that passage in there. Uh, but basically, it's not that you're sadomasochist or anything like that, but it's this idea that I understand that through pain, it's God chiseling. If you guys have ever seen God's chisel, if you get a chance, uh, YouTube, God's chisel. And it's a great little video uh, looking at, it's about nine minutes long, a conversation between a man and God. Uh, and looking through that is a good time if you get to watch that. Life going well is dangerous. Blessings can be enjoyed, celebrated, and shared, but never required as a source of life. So when life is going well, it's basically we don't need God, is what it comes down to a lot of ways. When my life is going well, I probably don't pray as much. I may pray for my food. That's about it. And so, therefore, it's dangerous because I don't see my need for God. And then only desire for God's glory informed by Scripture is our sure guide uh, and knowing what to do, not necessarily what I feel, but going back to praying God, praying uh, before I enter into conversations and doing things. Um, and just an encouragement here to you. Uh, this is from a book, A Fully Alive. Probably the only time I'll ever be published. I didn't write the book, Larry Crabb did, but I got to write a little intro, or not intro, a blurb for it, so I felt cool. That's, but that'd be the only time I've been published. I've seen my name published maybe two or three times in a book, and that's because a friend wrote a book and he mentioned me in it, and now because I got to write a little blurb, which was fun. So, but a sincerely struggling man will not live sinlessly, but will on occasion fail badly on what he does and will often fail badly in how he relates. He will have... He will hate everything sinful, even while he is powerfully drawn to its pleasures. He will struggle mightily against sin, always longing to know the power to live a holy life. And so as you begin to think through life, not beating yourself up, but saying, I'm sincerely, if I'm sincerely struggling, this is probably some evidences that I'm sincerely struggling. And then evidence of victory, brokenness over my sin committed, whether it's sexual, behavioral, or relational, increasingly strong but fluctuating resistance to temptation, even as temptations weaken or grow in strength, and then being able to release the power of God's love into others, even when I feel defeated and broken, 
power that comes from a yearning and hopeful heart that celebrates not spiritual achievement, but the grace of God that makes it possible. And so as you're looking at this, the evidence of victory in your life and the evidence that you're struggling well, that these would be some things that you can reflect back to. I've offered some uh, resources there. If you're dealing with addiction issues or hurts, habits, and hang-ups, basically sober recovery, uh, Thursday nights, uh, Houston's First Baptist in the Oasis, Oasis Room uh, is a good uh, resource. Of course, the Counseling Center uh, is another resource at the Counseling Center. Everybody know there's a Counseling Center at the church. We actually have one. We're up on the sixth floor. So, And then uh, way up there, they keep us a long ways away from everything. Uh, and then a list of books mentioned Fully Alive, which is some of what I got out of here. Men of Courage, which was formerly Science of Adam. It's only about 126 pages. Good little read. Um, and then if sex addiction is some of your issues, Stop Sex Addiction by Dr. Milton Magnus, who is a member of our church. Out of the Shadows by Patrick Carnes, which was probably one of the leading researchers out there on the issue. Addictions, A Banquet in the Grave uh, by Edward Welch. Kind of a good book just looking at addictions overall. And then Surfing for God is kind of a book that I've seen recently. Uh, good book and just looking at pornography and kind of where the struggles are and walking with that. So, any thoughts? for taking the time to listen to the message from the 2013 All-In Men's Retreat hosted by Houston's First Baptist Church. We hope this message has been encouraging to you. Pray that you have a great day.